Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey, everyone. Joyce here. Welcome to today's Walk and Talk, where our very special guest is Heidi Skolnick. And I don't usually read an entire bio, but in this case, I'm going to because Heidi and I are going to cover so many things. And I think it's important that everybody knows why we're talking about all the things. So Heidi is a sports nutritionist, an exercise physiologist, and she's the co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Whole Body Reset your weight loss plan for a flat belly, optimum health, and a body you'll love at midlife and beyond. Heidi's considered a thought leader in her field. She's been part of the Women's Sports Medicine Center at the Hospital for Special Surgery, which is a fantastic institution, for more than 20 years, where she specializes in the athlete. Heidi brought the sports nutrition model to artistic athletes and oversees the nutrition program at the Juilliard School and the School of American Ballet. Before that, Heidi was the team nutritionist with the New York Knicks for seven years, the Giants for 18 years, and the New York Mets for 15 years. Heidi sat on the board of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Gosh, Heidi, I don't know how you do it all. For 10 years, <laughs> and she currently stop. sits on the Medical <laughs> Advisory Committee of the National Menopause Foundation. Heidi holds two master's degrees, and she is a sought-after presenter, speaker, and all of the things. So, Heidi, welcome. Where should it we even start? It is so wonderful to be here. <laughs> well, you know, that's the benefit of being older is I've, I've done a lot of things. Right? That's one of the beauties. You know, I, I would love to, uh, the thing that's foremost on my mind is around nutrition and wellness for women in their 50s and beyond. But before mm -hmm. we dive into that, I would love to hear about how you got involved in this field in the first place. You know, I really have back. been so Yes, yes. Well, it, and, it, and it is going back. It's actually going back to before it was a field. And I think mm -hmm. that I've really been the beneficiary of starting something as it was just emerging. So when I was in school, sports nutrition, it didn't even exist as a class yet. There was no, never mind a master's or a doctorate. You, there was not even a class. And so I took exercise physiology and nutrition and put it together. There were a few people ahead of me doing it, which is that great modeling where I could kind of see something. But it really wasn't yet a thing. And it just, I was an athlete. Um, and I liked the wellness space, really. And so it, it, Really, I, it just emerged. I just followed my interests, and then things appeared. It was the right time, the right place, and I can't say it's very different than being in a corporation where you see this ladder and you kind of know where you want to go. I was able to just keep following my interests, and I have to say I'm still doing that now. You know, one of the things I, I think about sometimes, I, I have an expression, which is one of the keys to happiness is being the right amount of busy. And over the last 
a year or so, one of the thoughts I've had is that part of being the right amount of busy for me is having the opportunity to follow my curiosity. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've kind of built your career by following your curiosity is amazing. It really, I have to say, I've been so fortunate though I hear what you are saying, and at this stage I do question, because I have been someone who, although I have lots of interests and do lots of things, I am very work-centric. And mm -hmm. I think when you're passionate about what you do, it is easy to get very caught up in it. And so balance, as you're saying, you know, the right amount of busy, sometimes I have to say I feel a little too busy, but um, but but this is the life I've chosen, you know, and I, I get rewarded for it, for sure. I'm right there with you. Every few months, I sort of jump up and down and go, but wait, I have no hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to have some time to, or, or, or determination really to make that happen. I, so, I have faith that uh, you will when it's your time. Uh, I hope so. I tried to pick up rowing uh, last summer, uh, which I thought I was going to love. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. Anyway, I recently was diagnosed with rapidly progressing osteopenia, which shocks me because of my lifestyle. Uh, and I've been talking to different people. And one of the conversations I had recently with a physician was sort of around the fact that there's gosh, there just doesn't seem to be a ton of great information. There's a ton of information, right? But there just doesn't seem to be as much. And what she said to me, and this is a physician in her uh, late 50s, she said, yeah, you know, the world just doesn't seem to care that much about the health and wellness and nutrition of women over 50. Do you agree with that? Is that a thing? A hundred percent, and I have news for you, it's not just women over 50. You know, I am right now in two worlds, so a lot of it is in prevention. I work with a lot of young people, and one of the, in the female athlete triad, which actually leads to, and reds, relative energy deficiency in sport, which leads to early osteoporosis and osteopenia and poor bone health later in life. And we think of osteoporosis perhaps as an older person's condition, but it actually is a pediatric disease that manifests later in life based on certain things that we can talk about. I mean, there are other reasons as well, but, um, and one of the things that is really right now in the forefront of the science is that a lot of the studies out there don't differentiate between male and female. And so we take the research on males and we apply it to females and our physiology is different. We don't take into account menstrual cycle or where we are in the menstrual cycle and how that, that hormonal milieu might affect different things going on. And then as you're indicating for women post-menopause, are we the same as men? So when we look at heart disease, are our risks the same? Or are they different? You know, what happens to our bone? Well, we do kind of know that what happens to our bone after menopause. Um, but but to your point, there's not a lot of attention and differentiation in um, attention to and then in the research around women in general, females in general, and then certainly not as we get older. And there's no easy answer to this, but actually I have two questions. The first is why, Heidi, why? <laughs> <laughs> that is so complicated to unpack, right? That is political um, and 
as well as, um, you know, biases that exist. Who's in charge? Where's the funding go? Uh, what's just assumptions that have been made? You know, there's a lot of things in there that we could really look at. Um, and, and hopefully that's changing. I, and that's my second, my follow-up question to that, which is you're at the front lines of this. Is it getting better? Uh, is it getting better? Well, I think it is because we're talking about it. We're demanding it. We're asking for it. We're throwing a light on it. We are having conversations around things people never wanted to talk about before. I mean, just even talking about women's issues and menopause and saying body parts, right, are, is, is in and of itself um, a, a thing. So, yes, I do think it is and will change. But science takes time. Funding is an issue for everybody. Um, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So everybody who's listening to this podcast who has been in the 99 Walks world and has heard me speak in the past has heard me talk about the fact that what I refer to as the industrial fitness complex has done a terrible disservice to women, in my opinion. And I want, if you would, to share, ask you to share some of your thoughts around this message that we've been sent that skinny is the path to healthy. And that's the goal, right? Oh, you know, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, God, if you ask, and I'm sure you've seen this research, but if you ask women, 95% of us want to lose weight. Nobody, pretty much nobody's happy where they are. And I think that's both from an aesthetic standpoint, right? Skinny is in, but it's also this idea that skinny is healthy. And I think, again, there's a lot in that because in our when we spend our days focused on getting skinny it takes us away from really being able to be who we are and achieve other things right it is so consuming and it is so damaging on so many levels and our goal i would hope would be because these are code words healthy sometimes but functional Right. What, and, and focusing on muscle is important because muscle is functional. Muscle is different. Weight loss is different than fat loss is different than maintaining muscle. And an aesthetic changes all the time. Aesthetic through the years has, you know, through the ages has changed, mm -hmm. has changed. Why we are so susceptible to an external um, you know, ideal, as opposed to what is our realistic weight, what is our genetics, what is our history, what's our relationship to food. You know, food should be pleasurable and enjoyable and delicious and celebratory and functional and nourishing. I mean, it, it plays a lot of different roles in our, our life. Unfortunately, it's often filled with anxiety. And how, how sad is that? It's something we mm -hmm. do every day, several times a day. Um, so, yeah, the real goal is not to be thinner. It is to be strong and fit, mobile, powerful, all of those things. And that fits at the intersection of nutrition, movement, health, all, 
all of the things. You know, one of my favorite words kind of around that for me is vitality. I want want to feel vitality when I get up in the morning. Yes. And I I know that. Yep. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Did I lose you? Oh, no, I'm here. I think we're talking over each other, perhaps. Yes, sorry. Um, so vitality as as a word that kind of captures much of that. Yes, I love that word. And it is it is also interesting, this idea of healthy. Of, you know, food is actually not healthy or unhealthy. Food may be more or less nutritious, but we're healthy or unhealthy. So if you eat a food that has less nutritious value, you have not become unhealthy. That's just false, right? So if I eat a cookie, I'm now not all of a sudden unhealthy. Or I eat chocolate or pick whatever food you think of as being, oh, that's on candy. You know, that's unhealthy. It's it's just candy, you know. And there's right. a lot of morality and shame, and it's it's just untrue. And and from the marketing perspective, we're we're always bombarded with these messages like, you know, oh. You know, you can escape at the end of the day by unwrapping this chocolate and there's all this like sex appeal in it as well, all mashed up in the message. And then we're told, don't eat that. That's not good for you. That's unhealthy. You're unhealthy. You should feel ashamed. Go work that off. Go, You know, we don't have to earn our food or, you know, the only time we should feel guilty about eating something is if we stole it. You know, there's it's just this clean, you know, this, the, all of these loaded words like, you know, I eat clean. Well, again, what, when is it dirty? It's like if it falls in the mud, then it's dirty. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, it's this food. And your total patterns over time. So I'm not ignoring that there are foods that are more nutritious. Of course, I want you to make sure that you're getting an abundance of, of the foods that really will serve you and help you feel good and help you live the strong, vital life that you want. But that is that is a whole different mindset to be including more foods than in this restrictive mindset and fear mindset of what you can't eat. Oh my gosh. I talk about this all the time. I was recently listening to a podcast, a very high level, deep dive into nutrition, two men talking and the perspective around nutrition was super restrictive and they talked a lot about diets and they talked about restrictive diets and how you just have to choose. This was their, their perspective. You have to choose the restriction that works for you. So oh. either you're time restricted or you're carb restricted or what, but choose your restriction. And I was literally in my car yelling at the radio, <laughs> you know, It's interesting because equality shouldn't mean this, but I have to say I think more and more men are catching up to what women have been experiencing for a long time, which is negative body image, poor self, you know, around their their body selves and their food. They use different language. Often they get praised for being so conscientious, um, but they are engaging now in more and more dysfunctional eating patterns and, and choices and behaviors. Um, as time goes on, and and that is an unfortunate thing. But it it also affects our bodies differently. Like men's tolerance for within-day energy balance disruption or um, not being like evenly distributed is is they are not as affected. We are more sensitive to that. 
so it takes less disruption for us to um, have an effect on our body, which is also interesting. So, you know, it's not competitive in terms of different people react differently to different styles of eating. Um, but for the most part, I, you know, restriction is not, a, it's not the way to go. I have never believed believe that. Like it's for me, it's always been a perspective of how do I get in the things that I I know serve my vitality, and what turns out is when I do that, surprise surprise, I'm less interested in some of the stuff that doesn't serve me. I mean, occasionally, you know, I got to have the chocolate chips and the piece of cake, but generally, if I'm fueling myself well. I'm just less interested in the other things. So it's never, restrictions never worked for me. Well, I mean, even the word, just hearing it, right? It, it's just, yep. it's, it makes you smaller. So I think that's true. I think that this whole, there's, you know, whole movement around food freedom and intuitive eating. And I don't know that many people really, really understand what that means because intuitive eating doesn't mean that, you know, you're only, you know, you're kind of eating like whatever you want, whenever you want, as much as you want, like it's this wild abandonment of, you know, but we're not, we don't, we're not going to go into all that here. But the, but the point is at the end of the day, what food freedom intuitive eating do afford you is actually a greater satisfaction of, and a greater variety and more nutrition in your, in your diet. Interestingly enough, when you stop restriction, um, you really end up, being much more satisfied with what you are eating than, do you think, um, yeah. Do you think part of that is because uh, as a result of our culture or the messages that we've gotten far away from being able to tune in, to hear our body and to listen to the cues and what it wants? You know, I go back when my daughter was very young, she was truly, in my view, an intuitive eater. Like there were some days where all yeah. she wanted was fruit. And there were nights where she wanted protein. And that was very, very apparent. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, they get into middle school and it's all bets are off because it's all the messaging. So mm -hmm. have we gotten distanced from those messages? For sure. I think for many, many reasons. And, and again, there's a lot of messaging all around us that, help us dissociate from what our bodies actually need or want or guilt like this. I feel like eating a cookie. Oh no, I shouldn't have a cookie. And you start second guessing. Should I need, do I need that cookie? I don't really need that cookie. Do I really want that? Oh, I should have a piece of fruit instead, right? It's try eating a fruit when you really, and I can eat a, when I want a piece of chocolate, I can eat a fruit. I can have a yogurt. I can have some carrot sticks. I wanted the chocolate. And if I just eat the chocolate and went on with my day, like it's okay. Right. So, um, and then I think, you know, even like tracking your food, all these apps, I think it can be a useful tool because I, I think, you know, we are also surrounded by abundance of food. And I think when we talk about variety, we're not talking about, you know, 17 different kinds of Oreo cookies. Um, but there's, there's so much food and there is a whole thing around portion distortion in our, in our community. So I do think our, it, it becomes more and more difficult. But this whole idea about tracking even is an external thing. Now we're saying, oh, did I, let me check to see if I ate enough today. Did the app say that I ate enough? Then I better stop. But it doesn't really know, did, did you eat enough yesterday? Or did you move more today? 
you know, where are you in your, your cycle? Are you hungry? You know, if you're hungrier, then eat more. But um, so, yeah, I think we are, I think it takes work if you have not done it before to become an intuitive eater, to kind of block out messages and tune back into your body and trust your body. Very hard to do for some people. It's one of the reasons that I believe in the power of walking to impact mm. that because at least in my experience and in the experience of people who I've spoken with, if you take yourself away from your computer, away from your phone, whatever it is, and you go out for a walk, I believe it enables at least me to tune in a little bit better to those signals because there's less noise and because my body is working better. I don't know. It, it definitely has an impact, you know, if I'm... Well, yes. Yeah, movement. Well, there's so much to movement that's beneficial on some, again, on some, for, forget about weight, right, on, on mood and being outside. And, um, but I think that actually studies have been done on this as well. When you move, it does change how, and people look, people, after they move, if you look at food, and we're going to talk about less nutritious food, your brain lights up differently. So when you're not active, your brain lights up more when it sees that food than when you're active, which is so interesting because people often will say, oh, well, you know, when I'm, when I'm moving and when I'm, I'm getting out there and I'm trying to get fed, you know, I don't actually want those foods as much. Um, and you would think it might be the other because maybe they'd be hungrier because they're moving more or whatever. But you, you actually do respond to cues differently when when you've been moving i i read a really interesting study out of the university of georgia that ties directly to chocolate cravings and mm. the impact of a walk on chocolate craving and to your point you're just sort of less interested um, right. i mean not me because right. i'm pretty much interested in chocolate all the time but all that's... the time <laughs> right 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 yeah that's a, a narrow window so yeah well you know the other thing that makes you crave more is eating less you know, that's the other thing is when you're well fed, you just don't crave as much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we talk for a couple of minutes about protein? Uh, and I would love, love to. Because <laughs> this is something we have, I have not spoken with anybody about, I don't, I don't think in quite a while. And uh, my very basic understanding before I got educated was, and my thinking was, as we get older, we need less protein because we are not in as much of a building phase. And it turns out that I was completely wrong. So can you share a little bit about protein needs, specifically women 50 plus? Yes, I can, because that is what the whole body reset is all about. It's helping us understand that as we age, you know, between 20 and 60, it is not our, meta our metabolisms do not change. Our metabolisms stay the same. After 60, it begins to lower a little bit. What does change, beginning around midlife and beyond, in around our 30s to 40s, we begin to lose muscle every year, about one, a little less than 1%. And that muscle is, again, what is functional, right? That's what keep, muscle is what keeps us strong. It helps to clear glucose, you know, blood sugar. It helps to pull on our bones and keep there's some crosstalk between bone and muscle, our mobility, heart disease. There's so many health um, things. And so 
we become what's called anabolically resistant. And you're right, we're not in a growth phase. When you're young, you're in your, you know, you're in your teens, you drink a glass of milk, eight grams of protein, that all gets turned into muscle. Well, it doesn't all get, I mean, it uses, it uses protein is used in our body. As we get older, you take that eight grams of, you take a cup of milk and your body goes, eh, I need more. And we actually do. We need a threshold level of protein to, to press the muscle building button. And that's about 25 grams for women, 30 for men, a little less if you're small, a little more if you're bigger. Um, and uh, that you, and every meal. So it's also how you distribute it throughout the day. If you miss that morning meal, you're not building muscle because we don't save up protein in our bodies. So we need to have protein, a threshold of protein, about 25 grams, which is not hard to do. It's, this is not a high protein diet. It's adequate protein. It is a little bit more than what the RDA says for, um, which is at 0.8. This is a little bit more than that, but it's not a high protein diet. And it has to do with protein timing when you distribute it. So even something like the Mediterranean diet, so well researched, of course I support all of its messaging, except it doesn't address midlife and beyond. It doesn't address our needs as we're older. Um, and so that's what's really important to maintain our muscle. That and, and actually doing some resistance training, which we want to walk, right? We want to do row or get, you know, with cardiovascular. I know I came up in a time where cardio was king. You know, you had sneakers mm -hmm. go, you know, get on that elliptical go. Um, and that is important for our heart and our lungs. But our muscles need some, some stimulus, some resistance to get stronger. And so twice a week, we want to be sure we're doing some strength training. And so protein plus strength training is the way to go to stay strong as we get older. Uh, let's just go back for just a moment to some, can you share some examples of what 25 grams of protein could look like? Because I think people don't necessarily have that kind of perspective. So uh, sure. I'm sure people will run so, out and Google that, right? But how do you get yeah. 25 grams of protein yeah. in your breakfast? So, for instance, if you have a small thing of yogurt, even a Greek yogurt, the little 5.3-ounce ones that are easy to take and go, that's not a full cup. That's about six ounces. And that has about 15 grams. You want to get a full cup of yogurt, of Greek yogurt, in order to get that 25 grams. Um, you might sprinkle some nuts on that. Um, you might have a three-egg omelet with some cheese or have it with some whole grain toast and avocado. Um, you might have lox and a bagel or half a bagel um, in order to get that. So when we think of a deck of cards as a standard serving as being about three ounces, we need about four to five ounces in order to get which is not hard to do. Most people do that. They just do it at dinner. Most people eat 60 grams or more at dinner, maybe 20 at lunch, and maybe 10 at breakfast. So it's, it's just really, like you said, look it up. That's fine. You know, obviously, I'm going to say get our book because you'll see lists of protein. But whether it's from vegan, whether it's from, you know, whether it's plant-based, whether it's whether it's from animal sources, actually plant-based, you might need a little more to get all of the amino acids that we need. But you, you might need to stack because some people think, oh, well, I put like beans on my, I put a half a cup of beans on my salad, but a half a cup of beans isn't enough. It's just not going to get you there. So you might have to put beans and then you might have to put a little bit of cheese or some seeds or some 
soy or, you know, you might have to stack it a little bit. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. So the point is, it's very easy. To, it's not, we're not talking about, it's any way you want to get it, any foods you like, any protein foods that you like, you can incorporate in your diet to make sure, but just make sure you get it at every meal. You can do a tofu scramble if that's what you want it, right? It could be could be a tofu. Um, it's whatever you want. So that raises my next question, which we barely have time for. So I'm looking for a fairly quick answer to a rather complex question, which is, are all proteins created equal? Are some better than others? Or let's at least be sure that we're getting enough, and then we can worry about the details later. So uh, it is, I know this is a little controversial what I'm about to say, but it is true that um, animal proteins and soy, they're a few plant-based, are more complete proteins. They give us all of the amino acids that we need, and plant-based are incomplete, which you can complement. You can make sure you're having um, two different ones together to make sure you're getting all of the amino acids. But, and you can go plant-based without being plant-exclusive. And I, again, I think that's into our all or none thinking. But it yeah. is, you know, leucine, which is in, in dairy and in and out and in many different sources, is also an amino acid, particularly that's like a spark plug to helping promote muscle building. Um, so I, I think that, you know, when you're younger, it actually is a time maybe to be more plant-based and as you get older, include more, more animal sources of protein or a little bit at least to, to help it go further. Oh, Heidi, so much, but thank you because you have delivered so much usable, practical advice in such a short amount of time. So thank you for that. If people want to learn more about your work or they would like to dig into the book, uh, where in the interwebs are you best found? And of course, we will link to uh, the book and your resources in the show notes. But for those who are out walking, who just want to make a mental note, run quick through the details if you would. Thank you. Okay, so I'm at HeidiSkolnick.com and at HeidiSkolnick on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, and then the whole body reset is in, you know, bookstores everywhere. And if it's not, if it's not in your independent bookstore near you, they'll order it for you. Perfect. Heidi, thank you again so much. This was really a pleasure. Thank you. What a community you have built and how fabulous. So I appreciate you having me on so much. A pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 walks app and all the places podcasts live until then i wish you happy trails